0: Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for bases' opinions. Today is July 7th, 2022, and this is episode 345. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. On this week's show, we're going to go around the bases this week in Orioles baseball. We'll also try to keep our emotions in check. We'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the Drink of the Week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening?
1: I'm working my way through a raw raw Nanticoke Nectar, a fine India pale ale. I like this beverage.
0: That is not uh, grapefruit infused, though, correct? It is not nearly enough grapefruit infused. You you realize they have a grapefruit infused, one of those. I I do. Okay. Uh, I am going with a Trogues Lollihop. Uh it's got a combination of mosaic, citric, and a I think that's the Azek. Oh All right. A Z A C C A A. I don't know how to roll my C's anymore. Um double Indian pale ale. It's good. It's not as um hoppy as I would expect it to be for a double IPA. Um, but it's it's good. I like it. Like it a lot. All right. And I saw that in the store. I passed up on it. I'll get there. You're a hoppy guy. You'll you'll like this. You, get you'll there. get through it. Um doesn't have that grapefruit note, but still, still hanging in there. Um, if you want to know what we're drinking on a daily slash weekly basis check us out on untapped i'm at megn8606 i'm at E 4025 and with that it's time for a checkup Going into the medical wing, not a whole lot of information here, um, specifically with, you know, anybody hitting the medical wing, but Scott, you're going to bury the lead? What's the lead? We're not going to talk about the fact that John Means is hurt. John Means is hurt. um, And, um, you know, dropping F-bombs on the middle of Masson is the best way to put it. (laughs) I think the big story is just kind of watching and seeing what's going to happen with players like Austin Hayes, that's been kind of nursing injuries. Um, We've had Trey Mancini continually get hit on the hand. Um, So no one is in essence been out for a long period of time um, recently for the Baltimore Orioles. but there seems to be a lot of lingering injuries and it kind of just screams, please all-star break come as quickly as possible.
1: And especially with Austin Hayes, I mean, the bugaboo for him has been, can he stay healthy for the whole season? We have seen stretches in which he's been absolutely incredible. And this season we've seen stretches where he has, you know, carried the team on his back. If he can stay in the lineup, we're gonna get good things out of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely kind of cooled down a little bit recently. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's just it's something to note. And like I said, I think it's the the all-star break is coming at a good time for the Orioles. Um, I think they need a few days just to kind of, you know, get back and reset, as it were, for the second half of the season. But um, you know, just a few other things. Kyle Bradish reported um as of today to double A Bowie for his rehab starts. We'll keep an eye on that. I do think Bradish has a potential to get back into the rotation um, after the all-star break. Um, I think he might be competing with, you know, another prospect we might talk a little bit later on the show. Um, but you got to think that Bradish is going to eventually get back up here to the majors at some point um, and be a part of the starting rotation.
1: I absolutely agree. And, you know, I'm glad to see that it wasn't performance, but rather an injury that that pushed him out at the major
0: league level. Was uh, it? Uh, maybe both yeah but i think that he will certainly compete for it yeah i mean like i said he's got enough stuff and we've talked about this before um i I, i'm not really super concerned about it is the best way to put it and like i said it's only a matter of time before he has another you know chance in the rotation um and and we'll see what happens with it but uh, anything else that i missed in the medical wing as of recently no, no. Although it did give me another opportunity to read Shedlong and remember that I'm mad at him. Um, yes, yeah, see, it definitely is. Rod Mancos has also been kind of dealing with some injuries, but he's back in the lineup as of tonight, mashing and, and crashing and doing all that stuff that he loves to do. Um, but yeah, that's something that we're going to talk. We can talk about one other individual we haven't talked about, but has made um, you know an appearance again with the Baltimore Orioles is Ramon Urias came back um, and. You know, we've been trashing Ramon Urias a little bit this season uh, of like, what's the role that he's going to have on this team? And I I still kind of question the long term, what is the, you know, what's the scenario that Urias is going to play? But Urias had, you know, a few nice games earlier this week, specifically on Wednesday. Um, I mean, does Urias actually have a role on the 25 man roster or is it kind of just a fill in spot for the time being?
1: Um, I think it's both. Okay, I think he's a fill-in spot
0: until you
1: know, like a Gunnar Henderson comes to the major league level. Um, but I also think that you know, when you look at the the next great Oreo club, they're gonna need a utility guy, and if your utility guy is a guy like Ramon Urias, you might not be in a terrible spot.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've got three. uh We'll call it <laughs> infielders, and I'll put that in heavy quotation mark. You got Urias. You've got Jonathan Ruse, who was picked up off a of way from Boston, and then you've got Tyler Nevin. I I, I don't know. Like, there's nothing in no, none of those three, like, really are like super interesting to me. I mean, I guess out of those three, I'd kind of like to see more Urias um, than a Ruse and, and Tyler Nevin, but I don't know. Like I said, no, none of them I'm like, I'm not going to fight a battle over is the best way to describe it. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, let's go to 280 characters less. This week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you start us off?
1: We're going to start with a tweet from an account that's calling itself Baseball Doesn't Exist. That's at Baseball Doesn't. The team that Shohei Otani and Mike Trout are on has a worse record than the Baltimore Orioles. This was tweeted out on July 5th, and it fills me with glee. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having guys on your club like Otani and
0: Trout. I I, I mean. And, and having to deal with the, the kind of record where you're looking up at the Baltimore Orioles. It boggles my mind every year with the Angels. Like, I just don't understand it. Like, I don't know how you have Trout and Otani and that you're not just a playoff team every single year, um, especially in the AM West too. Um, I got nothing. It makes no sense. Got nothing. It, it, I just don't understand it. Um, yeah, man. Tell you what, Angels, just go ahead and trade us Trout and Otani. We'll we'll make it work. Well, as our good friend uh, Buster
1: Olney tweeted out uh, earlier this week, you know, Otani can actually opt out in 2023. He, He can.
0: I don't know where he would go, though.
1: Well, how much would it break the heart of Buster Olney to see him sign in Baltimore?
0: Uh, We don't participate (laughs) in any negotiations with uh, Otani.
1: I think that would be bad for baseball. Yeah.
0: Uh, The next tweet comes from Nathan S. Ruiz. You can follow him at Nathan S. Ruiz. Uh, Since June 16th, a 19-game span, the Orioles string pitching has allowed only one or fewer runs 14 times. So 14 out of 19 times. And that is without John Means, Grayson Rodriguez, or really anyone of note. Sorry, Jordan Lyles, but it's true. That sounds
1: pretty okay.
0: Yeah, it's still kind of weird, um, is the best way to say it. Like, and again, we're talking on a Wednesday evening uh, where Jordan Lyles has gone six innings, zero earned runs. Really weird. Really weird baseball uh, that we're not used to seeing um, it, from the Baltimore Orioles. Well, the Orioles are unpredictable,
1: and I think that the uh, the folks over at Orioles Uncensored, of course, they tweet at O's Uncensored. Orioles are now the drunk guy sitting alone at the bar. Everyone at the bar is afraid of them. They're capable of anything. Nothing is off the table. Yeah. Yeah. That's a colorful yet accurate description. Nobody wants to play the Orioles
0: right now. It's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Uh, last treat comes from Zachary Silver. You can follow him at Zach Silver. In the span of just over a week, Gunnar Henderson has hit for the cycle, mm-hmm. turned 21, oh. elevated to number five ranked prospect in in baseball. Mm-hmm. And been tapped for the futures game. So Gunnar, um, crack open a beer, enjoy it, um, because you are certainly having a heck of a season. We were talking about this in the last podcast about Gunnar Henderson and potentially um, being one of the best prospects. The next day, uh, I believe there was an article in Baseball America asking the question, is Gunnar Henderson the best prospect remaining in the minors at this given moment? Um, Gunnar Henderson continues to to rake, is the best way to put it. Um, and it was really nice to see uh the MLB pipeline come out with Grayson in number four and Gunnar Henderson at number five. Um, I don't get it. you know, five Orioles in total in the top one hundred. Um, oh, and by the way, the Orioles have the number one draft pick. Um, in a few weeks, that that sounds bad for baseball. Uh, there is a possibility. I'm not just saying it's a great possibility, but I'm saying there's a possibility. Um, that going into next year, um, the Orioles may have eight players in the top 100 well can i give you bonus sure zach
1: silver tweet bring it this was from 40 seconds ago here on uh july 7th tonight's jumbotron prospect spotlight at camden yards was on heston kerstad oh yeah whom with three hits so far tonight is hitting a cool 452 with an ops north of 1100 through 21 or through 20
0: games at class a delmarva yeah, um, that's pretty good, and um, I guess the question that people are asking right now is like, how long is Kirsten going to stay at Delmarva? I mean, that's it's Low A baseball now. We gotta we gotta flip our script and know that you know Aberdeen is now High A. I mean, Kirsted's just smacking the heck out of the ball. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, I did not really expect him to have much of a season at all this season. I thought this was going to kind of just be a just get through the year kind of year. Um. It's pretty impressive, honestly. It's pretty darn impressive.
1: And this is a guy that we were worried about flaming out. Period. Uh, this uh, this that's what I'm saying. We- that's what I'm
0: saying. Is like this was the year I'm just like, just survive is right. the best way to put it. Um, and again, it, that's not making a joke of the situation. I mean, starting and doing your first year in rookie as a rookie in minor league baseball, it is a grueling task, is the best way to put it. So, uh, I mean, uh, just kudos to him. I mean, this is storybook stuff. Um, now, like I said, I, I look forward to seeing him in Aberdeen in the near future.
1: Would you classify it as magic?
0: I, I would, you know, definitely classify it as magic. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, with that, I know we've done a little bit of talk about, you know, some things that are going around with Orioles baseball, both the minors and the majors. Um, but why don't we go ahead and stretch it on out? Um, and why don't we go around the bases and talk a little about what has occurred uh, for the past few weeks and how the Orioles are continuing to do what they do.
1: Scotty, I want to go ahead and start at first base, and I want to ask you a question, in all seriousness. Are these the good old days? I've been thinking about this a little bit, and a poster on the Orioles subreddit, this comes from H. Pampkin, uh, noted that this person views this time to be the best time of a rebuild, because at this stage... Our expectations are low and we have the capability of being continually pleasantly surprised by success in comparison to later when we'll have great expectations and we will be devastated by even the slightest of setbacks. Right now we're playing with table stakes, right? At this point, as we fall in love with personalities that, you know, may not be here as we enjoy improbable wins Scotty, are not these the good
0: old days? Um, I believe you could just call it a... Those were the days, my friend. I'd have to re-record it, and that's not happening. (laughs) Your wife would be very upset with you, um, saying no one has ever heard of that song before. Um, No, these are are not the days. Um, This is, you know, it's fun to watch right now. I consider the days to be... You know, 2012 had a different vibe to it. And this is this is definitely in a similar light, Um, but again, it's still the situation of the Orioles are still six games back in the wild card. Um It is just such a drastic change, and it has that 2012 vibe of like you look at 2011's record, you look at 2012's record, and that drastic shift in terms of baseball has that kind of feel. But it's still not quite 2012, but you can't overlook the fact that you're actually watching decent baseball occur here. Where in last year and the year ahead in your head, you were looking at a, a 50 win team is the best way to put it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had no expectations coming into this year. My expectations were low. I'm pleasantly surprised, just like it's kind of mentioned here, but I wouldn't say these are the good old days is the best way to put it. This is, we're on the road to it is the best way to put it.
1: Okay. I accept that answer. The one thing I will say is that we didn't have this particular middle experience before the Buckle Up Birds, right? It was Mm -hmm. terrible and then surprise
0: good for an extended period of time. Um, uh, Here's how the way I I would classify this year. It's like a sophomore year is the best way to wear it. It's not the the allure of freshman year. It's not the aspect of like a junior year or senior year. It's a sophomore year. I challenge anybody to give me one memory from sophomore year. I guarantee you can't come up with one real good memory. Like, yep, that is a lifetime moment. Except if you're like a theater person, like maybe that's the case. Like, and be like, Hey, well I was in this play and I was doing this, but any normal individual um, has no memory of sophomore year. Okay. I love the sophomore year comparison. Like that is, that is going to become a thing that I
1: talk about. I apologize, Scotty, uh, just for the record folks, that is a Scott Magnus idea. <laughs> I'm going to run with it anyway. That that's a really interesting. What was the
0: play in sophomore year?
1: Well, we did um, <laughs> cheaper by the dozen. Um, we did South Pacific, which uh, featured me dancing in a hula skirt and coconut bra. So this past weekend, right? <laughs> I, I have great memories of
0: sophomore year, but again, maybe I'm not normal. Anyway, yeah, we were talking about baseball. I think. We we I think we're talking about hula skirts and and coconut bras, but. <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, the season is that good. that That's the, the, the discussion. I, I think that we, we were, we didn't have this experience last time the Orioles became good. The, the cool thing here is that I, at least, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, I am able to take losses and go, well, that's unfortunate, but it's not the end of the world. Whereas when you are neck and neck for a pennant race, each loss cuts like a knife, um, Maybe these aren't the good old days, but they're pretty they're pretty alright. They're pretty alright. Yeah, absolutely pretty alright. All right. I want to round first, I want to head to second base. And Scott, I need some grounding here. Sure. I need you to tell me how I should be feeling about the Jorge Lopez experience.
0: Yeah. Um well I think we all can say it straightly, it's been bad, is the best way to put it. Like it has been ugly, it has been bad. Um, and it has been a gnawing experience. However, I think if we look a little bit past what's going on, um, you know, Jorge Lopez is still chucking the ball up there at 97, 98 miles per hour. Um, you know, peripherals look OK, maybe not as good as they were earlier this year. But again, over the past 14 days, 18 Ks per nine, 3.6 walks per nine. Um, so a little bit of a command issue maybe there. Home runs, obviously, are a concern, but even the BABIP is, is an issue at .455. So here's what I would say is Jorge Lopez, you know, I don't want to say had bad luck, but let's just say the, the other batters did a really nice job, and Jorge Lopez maybe saw a little bit of regression back to the mean. And I know people can challenge me on that, but the fact of the matter is Jorge Lopez has a two nineteen BABIP this season that's kind of come up a little bit. Eventually, um, his home runs per nine are definitely lower than they've ever been. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it's going to happen. Like I said, there's going to be these occasional blown games. Um, the fact of the matter is Jorge Lopez still has a 1.83 ERA, um, still has a 2.96 Sierra. Uh, it's still an excellent reliever is the best way to describe it. Is it a, you know, number one reliever, like a like a Zach Brickton from 2016? No, of course not. Um, but he's serviceable, and he can definitely still come in and be a closer when you need him. Um, maybe he just doesn't have to be the closer. Is the best way to put it. Well, I mean, and
1: this goes back to discussions we've had on this this program about whether or not you know we believe in the the closer role as a concept. But you know, I think from what you've just described there, Jorge Lopez, despite the struggles, is a quality reliever who would have a role, and I would argue a meaningful role on any of the thirty clubs in baseball. No question. And he happens to pitch here. Yeah. Right. These things happen. They're going to be ups. They're going to be downs.
0: And it's it's just one of those situations where it's particularly aggravating when it's back to back situations. And it's one of those things of, I really look like what Jorge Lopez said, um, you know, the day after he had his first blown save, where it's just like, I just want tomorrow to come and I want to get back on the mound. And he did that. And unfortunately, he <laughs> blew the game again. Um and again, it's 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 frustrating, and then it gets into a mental standpoint at that point over like, oh, God, what am I doing wrong? And you're thinking about all the things you're doing as opposed to just pitching and throwing. Um, so, again, you know, coming back to last night uh, on Tuesday, I'm sorry, on Wednesday, um, and him being able to get the save in the 2-1 victory is huge. I mean, it's absolutely monumental. He is going to blow additional games in the future. There's no question about it. But to get over that mental blockade, as it were, is 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 massive Um, is the best way to put it.
1: And this is when it goes back to, you know, the games not being played by by robots. They're human beings. Um, And it it also, you know, makes me think back to the question that we're continually asking ourselves about how do we judge Brandon Hyde as a as a leader?
0: Right. Um, And what did he do? He just threw him back out there. And then after he got hit the second time, then he's just like, all right, I'm going to slow down a little bit and just, you know, see what happens and then put him back into another situation. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was, I didn't have any issues with Brandon Hyde doing what he did. Um, and we've talked about this before on the podcast too, but another thing from a leadership standpoint is, and I know we've pointed this out before, end of Tuesday's game, Jorge Lopez gets the out first person that comes out and gives him a big hug pats on the back and says way to fricking go and he didn't use the word fricking but um it was adley watchman big old smile on his face because he knew what his picture was going through and wanted to be like dude way to get through it like and that's the it, it's little stuff like that that other orioles catchers have done in the past there's just a different level of charisma is yep. the best way to put it um and that's the only way i can call it out and Again, that's something that you can't measure. Um, but again, we've talked about this far from a catcher standpoint. It's such a big deal. It's such a big deal with pitchers.
1: Can you imagine when this guy's not a rookie anymore? What oh, that my leadership goodness. is going to
0: be like? I, I mean, like I said, this is kind of all kind of gravy this year with Adley you're He's just getting a feel for everyone. But um, when you think about like Adley with a little bit more seasoning is the best way to put it. With the Grayson Rodriguez, with the D.L. Hall, with all these individuals he's in essence come up with, it's gonna be, I, I, it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be kind of a bro show <laughs> to be, to be fair. Um, it's gonna be Manny Scope level. It, it's somewhat similar, yeah. I mean, I think it's gonna be a different vibe, but I mean, it's going to be that similar aspect. Um, so yeah. Um, Jorge Lopez, I'm not concerned. It's going to happen. There isn't anything mechanically that I'm like, oh, he's you know tipping pitches or doing anything weird. He just ran into a little bit of, you know, Babip Dragon is the best way to put it. Um, It's going to happen. All right, I will take that as an answer.
1: Let's hit into third base. And it's not here yet. But the shadow of the trade deadline is starting to loom. I think the, the trade deadline is, is August 2nd. Is that, is that right? Is that mm-hmm. August 1st or something like that? Um, and we all know what's going to happen. We, we know the stakes. We we know we know it's going to happen. We know we're going to hate it. Um, so we might as well enjoy you know what we've got while we've got it. But clearly, you know, the Orioles have a couple of trade chips, and it's pretty obvious, right? So Trey Mancini, he even posted about it recently, talking about you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but you know, I'm just going to enjoy things while while it lasts. I mean, you got to think he gone, right. Let's, co-
0: let's continue. I want to come back to this topic.
1: You want to skip over Trey Mancini?
0: I want to come back to Trey Mancini at the end. Like at, at the end of third base, basically.
1: Okay. All right. Let me pretend that we had a meaningful discussion on, on Trey Mancini and ask you about other trade chips that the Orioles might have.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Anthony Santander is another one that continues to get thrown out there. Um, Jorge Lopez is another one. Um, Cedric Mullins has been another one that someone has basically said, like, hey, if the Orioles really wanted to cash in big, Cedric Mullins would be a team person that any team would want, um, which I agree any team would want him. But I mean, the hall would have to be immense. Like, uh, I, I I don't even know what it would look like, honestly. I don't know what t- what team could put it up. Um, and then someone mentioned Rougneau door, which doesn't make any sense to me. Well,
1: let me go back to Mullins real quick. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That is the Orioles dealing from a, a position of strength with outfielders. All right. So someone has said this to me before and I wholeheartedly disagree. And here's why I disagree. Um, with the dimensions that are now present in Canyon yards, I feel like you need to have two rangy outfielders. You can't have, um, individuals that don't have a lot of, you know athleticism, so like let's think about who we have. Yeah, you know, from an outfield prospect standpoint, you know you've got folks like using the Diaz who can't stay healthy, so that's not a possibility. Kyle Stowers is interesting, but again, I don't think Kyle Stowers has the defensive prowess that we're looking for. I mean, I'm not saying that Kyle Stowers is bad. But I would probably put him in like a Santander category in terms of defensive prowess. He's not a second center fielder playing left like, like Hayes is. Correct. I mean, and then if we're going through the additional outfielders, I mean, we still have D.J. Stewart. I don't really consider him to be anything. You got Robert Newstrom, which, again, I don't consider to be much of anything. Um, in Double-A Bowie, you've got Colton Kowser, who, again— I think Kowser's good. I like Kowser a lot, but I don't consider him to be a rangy outfielder, is the best way to put it. So it really comes down to the question of do you feel like you need a rangy outfielder? Um, you know, one individual we've seen this week too, with you know, Austin Hayes, you know, being injured, is Ryan McKenna. And I don't consider Ryan McKenna to be a starter, is the best way to describe it. Um, I'll tell you who I was thinking about today of who Ryan McKenna reminds me of. Um, he reminds me of Nate McCloskey of like probably someone that shouldn't be a starter, but is a serviceable person to pull off the bench to be a defensive replacement when necessary and also serve as a pinch runner and or, you know, a, a spot player at, on occasion. So yeah. he's my fourth outfielder is the best way to put it. But I feel like you need to have constantly going forward two rangy outfielders. So Mullins and Hayes are pretty much, you know, out out, not you know not non-touchable for me at this given moment um yeah that's just that's that's my general opinion like i said if the Orioles are going to compete in next you know two to three years um and hopefully next year um cedric mullins is, is off limits for me um if you trade cedric mullins it tells me you as an organization feel like you're not ready to compete for the next two to three years and you're in essence wanting to in essence delay it which doesn't make sense to me
1: or you're gonna go out and get a left fielder in in the in free agency that is somewhere
0: between uh, Ryan McCannon and Austin Hayes maybe maybe um it's possible like I said I just I don't see it is the best way to put it I think Santander is makes the most amount of sense it's the question of is a team going to want to do it Santander has constantly been kind of thrown out there as a name no one has really won a bit bite on him he seems more like a third tier trade, pro- trade individual too, so it's never going to be at someone's top list. I feel like he's going to be one of those individuals that at the very last moment a team is like, we didn't get the two guys we wanted. I'm going to go and get Santander and it's fine. It just it's not going to be a big move is the best way to put it.
1: I'll also be really interested to see what the new playoff dynamics mean for the the market, sure the trade market. You know, are there more teams that really feel like they've got a chance to to do the thing, you know, damn the torpedoes and, and buy. And what does that mean, you know, for the Orioles? I I am curious, you know, you wave off Odor and I think you're right by the way. Um, But remember that the Rangers are paying uh, $12 million for him to not play there. Yep. Uh, And they will continue to pay $12 million for him to play somewhere else if he gets. Sure.
0: Yeah. I just, Odor oh, door doesn't strike me as like a necessary component for anybody's like playoff team. Like, I just don't see it. It would like, require an injury. It really would. At best, like it is the best way to put it. So, um, yeah, I just don't see it. So let's loop back around. Let's talk Trey Mancini. So like, I think we've been talking about this for quite some time now that Trey Mancini makes the most amount of sense to go is the best way to put it. Like, um... You know, Trey is, you know, in arbitration. He's got one more year next year. um, There's a a mutual agreement between both parties for like $10 million. Um, And, you know, obviously Mountcastle is kind of taking first base over on a whole. So Trey is, in essence, served as this DH first baseman, occasional outfielder when the Orioles are trying to showcase him. But I've been thinking about it this week. And I, this might be me being a little off base, is the best way to put it. But when I think about the Baltimore Orioles for 2023, I think to myself, you're going to need to have a DH. And I look at, and I think back to that 2014 season with like a Nelson Cruz. And I'm not saying that Trey Mancini is ever going to be a Nelson Cruz of 2014. But I feel like a Trey Mancini that is posting a, two-war season as a DH for $10 million. Seems like a steal is the best way to put it. So I guess my question is, like, is it worth it to walk away from Trey Mancini? Like, you're not going to get much back for Trey Mancini.
1: It all comes back to the question of, is he worth more here to the Orioles than he might be worth elsewhere? Right, with all of the with all of the other factors, right? And we all know what we're talking about. Yep. There. And the question becomes, Do you think that you'll get more value out of him in the next good club? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to take the the ticket on the 17-year-old that you're going to get in, in, you know, return plus, you know, bag of balls?
0: Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm wondering at this point of, like, it makes sense. And you should be able to find a DH. I'm not so sure. Like, it's to find a two war dh i think might be tougher than we're letting on and again even like let's see mount castle gets hurt who plays first base for this team is it tyler nevin nevin yeah and do you really want tyler nevin starting over Trey mancini no so like i look at this and i think to my point of like if i'm building a 25 man roster and i want to have a backup first baseman who can also dh Is there anybody that is in the depth charts that I immediately want to go to and pick out and is $10 million really for an individual like Trey Mancini next year? Preclusive is the best way to put it. Have you considered DJ Stewart? I have considered (laughs) DJ Stewart and I'm not even willing to entertain the notion of DJ Stewart at this given moment. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Are you truly
1: doing analysis with your brain or has your heart
0: grabbed the mouse? I feel. I mean, it's it's probably a little bit of heart, but again, it, it's it comes back to this point where people are like, "Well, you don't need a DH because you got Adley Rutschman," which is you know kind of true that Adley Rutschman can DH, but I, again, I, I still think next year you're going to see Adley Rutschman play four or five games, and you're going to have to give him a day off every once in a while. I, I just I'm not, I'm just thinking along the lines of like. Trey could probably be on this team, play 120 games, and it would be worthwhile potentially to have him be on the roster.
1: And I, I want you to be right with all every fiber of my being, right? And I, and I will say that if we follow your your line of thinking to its to its logical conclusion, you know this is an organization that doesn't need to trade Trey Mancini, right? This isn't 2018. The farm system is stacked. The next wave, I won't use the C word, the next wave is on the way and, and partially here. And so you don't necessarily need
0: to get that the lottery ticket back from uh, Trey Mancini. I, I think the big question is, do you want to pay Trey Mancini $10 million? I think that's the big question, which is, is Trey Mancini worth it to pay $10 million or... Do you get someone else off a free agency that's cheaper? Because have obviously done that in the past. Um, or do you hope a prospect can come up and serve as your DH?
1: Okay. If you're asking me the question. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. And I think that $10 million is a very inexpensive purchase to be able to buy yourself another year of success. Another year of um, new personalities for the fans to fall in love with a new group of players to care about so that the potential then loss of Mancini the following year or whenever it is that he goes, isn't quite so painful for many fans. Trey Mancini is really all they recognize, Mm -hmm. right? It's Trey Mancini and the new guys. 10 10 million dollars to get an effective DH and to, to buy yourself time to distance yourself from when Trey Mancini was the only recognizable piece of the team. I think from a business standpoint, it's a no-brainer. Uh,
0: it It's a weird position because, like I said, the Orioles for the past few years have been very cost-conscious, very, very cost-conscious. I mean, we can go back to like Jonathan Villar, for example, I mean, like, we, we threw away Jonathan Villar. But based off of how the Orioles are performing as of late, I kind of feel like I have to change my tune slightly. Like, if the team was still playing as a 50-win team mm-hmm. – there's no chance that Trey Mancini should still be on this team. Like it's an aspect of like, well, they're so far away that it doesn't make sense to keep him because even coming into next season, it's not going to be a competitive baseball team. Um, I just think it's a little. It it's just a, it's a little risky is the best way to put it. And like I said, I it's it's probably not that significant for one or two war is the best way to put it. But again, it also comes back to that Trey Mancini charisma standpoint. Um, I don't know. Like I said, it's it's a really it's a really weird position.
1: If you had to put a percentage on it, what percentage would you put on it for Mancini being traded this this uh deadline?
0: Fifty percent.
1: Fifteen one five no, no fifty. Oh, 50. Okay, so it's a
0: toss up. I think it's a toss up because I think it's I mean, I think the the team that makes the most amount of sense has been the team that has been linked to him the longest, which is the Mets. Um, and Buck basically saying I want him. Um, and obviously the Mets have no concerns about money, so they can just go get them if they want them. Um, and I think if the Mets offer even a semi decent package, the Orioles are probably going to jump on it. Um, and I think Orioles fans would be, a, I think Orioles fans would love to see trade go to the Mets more than any other team because of Buck being there and they would understand it. Um, I think they would be disappointed, but at least they'd be like, well, at least he's going to the Mets. At least he's playing for Buck. And at least he gets to go and potentially be on a playoff team. Going into this offseason.
1: Yeah, I don't want them that close to Pete Alonzo. <laughs> That's saying. true. I'm just
0: saying. Um, but yeah, like I said, the the Trey thing is, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's bothering me, but I've been thinking a lot about it lately.
1: I have to be honest, I am surprised
0: and delighted by,
1: by this conversation. Uh, mostly because I just want, I want to believe there's a
0: chance. Yeah, I mean, it's just the standpoint of the way the Orioles have currently been playing really helps to put things into perspective for me. That's a nice segue. Let's let's go let's go home, <laughs> and
1: let's talk about perspective. You spoke, I, I believe, eloquently, which is unusual for you. Yes, you spoke eloquently about this, uh, screaming into the internet the other day. Um, and so, I'd just like to to ask you to expand a little bit on what are you talking about with perspective. Why do we, as Orioles fans, need perspective right
0: now? All right. So, listen. I know we are all super excited right now. Um the Orioles are finally playing decent baseball. Um I wouldn't say they're competing for a wild card, but they are flirting with 500 is the best way to put it.
1: I have looked at standings for the first time in like 5
0: years. Yeah, I mean I I have too. It's the standpoint of like after the Orioles won 3 games against the Angels and I'm like I wonder where we actually are in the wild card standings after this. So, I mean, there's definitely sometimes I'll we'll all check in on it is the best way to put it. Um, And like I said, it's exciting. Like I said, there's a lot of really good games. There's a lot of come from behind victories. Uh, And we've talked about this too before. But from a perspective standpoint, we've got to give consideration that when we started the season, we said, this team is probably a 62 to 63 win team. And now they're looking like they could potentially be a 75 win team Um, and maybe be even better. Honestly, like I said, based off of how they've been playing lately, they could flirt with 500 over the long enough season. Um, and you can get all high and mighty on this basis of, like, this is why Elias should have brought up Adley Rutschman earlier. This is why we should have had Grayson Rodriguez up here. If that was the case, they'd be, you know, well on their way to domination. That is all possible. Um, and, you know, we can we can go into those what-if scenarios. But the reality is this season was always going to be a transition year based on the payroll and everything else that was occurring um, not to mention an absolutely dominant AL East division like everyone was expecting. So perspective-wise, this was always going to be a transition season. And again, if John Means was healthy, maybe I'd feel a little bit differently. But John Means is hurt. Grayson Rodriguez is hurt. It. There's no need to get you know, hurt or upset over wins and losses. What you should be looking for, again, is a little bit of magic here and there as it pops up. And uh you know have some fun on the way, you know seeing tonight Adley Rutschman hit his first home run at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. That I'll have to take your word for it. That means a lot more to me than you know what the end score is going to be for tonight's game. Um and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to, you know just experiencing the season, watching good baseball, listening to it um as opposed to you know living or dying by You know, pitch here, pitch there, an umpire bad call here, an umpire bad call here, or a leaf pitcher blowing a game or a leaf pitcher not blowing a game. Um, And that was just my my aspect of like, if you're losing your mind now, you're not going to be able to survive like we had to in 2012 to 2016 because, you know, it was literally the matter of like, I come back and think about that 2016 wildcard game and there's no question in my mind, it took eight years off my life is the best way to put it. Um, and at the end of that game, like I said, I was so exhausted and so, like, emotionally wrecked. That I just laid on the floor. I'm like, I am completely drained of energy of what just occurred here. Um, that's a perfectly reasonable experience because of everything that you've gone through. This, just live with it. Like I said, just just roll with the punches. And, and we kept talking during the, the
1: Dark Ages, you know, 2.0 about... How we just wanted them to play competitive ball, right? We just wanted to feel like we had a chance every night. We got it. We got it. Yep. This is it. This is that. And I know that we didn't, you know, we talked about it earlier. We didn't have that experience last time. We don't know what this is supposed to feel like. But this, the team being okay, mediocre, this is what it is.
0: And you can't treat that like it's 2014, like it's 2016. Again, it's it's a different vibe and everything like that, and just I'm just saying, take it easy because next season, next season may have that vibe is the best way to put it, and it's fine to maybe start getting a little warmed up, but just don't lose your mind um over this season.
1: Also, like this is supposed to be fun. Baseball is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a bringer of joy. Allow it to bring joy.
0: This is the Baltimore Orioles podcast, right?
1: Yes, and and that's what we've been saying that has been lacking. Yeah, baseball is supposed to bring
0: joy. It just it just hadn't been. Here's the perspective I'll put it in. Um if you go and look at other fan bases Twitter like and just kind of follow along with it, don't be Yankees Twitter. Don't be a 700 win percentage team and literally want to designate for assignment all your players when you're winning seven, you know, 70% of your games. That's how Orioles fans are acting right now. We was like, gosh, I cannot believe we as a bottom dweller team with almost no payroll, um, lost this game tonight. So it's just like, it happens. Let's move on past it. Like it's okay. It's not a big deal. Um but yeah, don't be Yankees fans. That's that's my that's my, my words of wisdom. Like I said, laugh, cry, enjoy it, but don't get bent over shape about it. I feel I feel like don't be Yankees fans is good life advice on so many levels. So many levels, yeah. yeah. But just stop yourself before you post something on Twitter and say, would a Yankee fan say this?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. You know how there there is some uh email tools? Would Dan
0: Clark say this? Just think to yourself these given aspects. Like, you know, like WWDCS. What would Dan Clark say?
1: I feel like we've reached a dark place. <laughs> this this podcast has become depressing despite our or entreaties for, for perspective.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, let's go ahead and, um, you know, see who won fantasy the boss this, this past week. Right folks, that's the uh music indicating that uh this week the winner was Scoot Magnum. What? or Odor had a 316 Babbitt and uh Anthony Santander had a 195 Babbitt.
1: This is rigged.
0: Something is clearly wrong with the universe. Well, I mean I think partially it was the aspect of like Odor did have a decent offensive like you know, campaign, um, one sixteen. Waiter and created Plus versus Santander seventy one. It was also a situation where I think Odor only had thirty eight plate appearances to so Santander's fifty six. So I, I do think I maybe got a little small sample size in here because Odor was out for a few games. But hey, that's the game, baby. That's the game. So uh, yeah, Odor Od- Odor won this week. Um, and I'm going to take it. Um, that brings us to a crisp
1: three to two uh, game here at Fantasy Boss. Scotty. You have the commanding lead of a single week i'm uh i'm liking this year you you are putting up quite the fight
0: yeah so this time around we're gonna go with a stat that we haven't used so far this season um and the Orioles have been doing a really nice job of like come from behind wins um and you know coming back when you least expect it and one of the metrics that can kind of display that but what's a good way to maybe take a look at things is win probability added so win probability added takes a look at the given game scenario and basically says it's going to add a certain win probability added. Um, a really great example of this was Adley Rutschman with his double, which tied it up in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. I think added like zero point five win probability added just with that one play alone. Um, so that's pretty big, is the best way to put it. It's not quite you know a walk off, but that's a, a certainly a, a big time WPA play. Um, so we're going to look at it. In terms of WPA on a player basis, it can be offense or pitchers um, on this basis from WPA. Um, And Jake, I will let you choose your WPA advocate.
1: All right. So I'm just going to uh, have done a little research. Okay. I hate to disappoint you. Okay. When it comes to WPA, hitters and pitchers can contribute about the same amount. Mm-hmm. So for instance, this past week, and I don't want to get into good, bad, and the ugly territory. So please cut me off if I, if I start to steal any thunder, but Spencer Watkins, uh, led the pitchers with a, a 0.52, uh, wins probability added for the week, um, just the last seven days. And if you look at the, the hitters, um, it was about that, that 0. 0.58, 0. 0.57 that led the team. Um, by the way, your boy Rugi was at the .57. Nice. this past week. So, who is going to lead the team with uh, win probability added? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I think that it is going to be a reliever. Okay. This time around, and I think that it is going to come down to CNL Perez leading oh. uh, the team, or or at least sending me to a. Fantasy boss victory I, in, I, I, in wins
0: probability. I, I like the CNL Perez uh, call out. Um, he actually had a really nice appearance just this evening um, coming in against Mike Trout, Otani, and Ward, striking out two of them. Um, so, yeah, um, Perez is definitely a nice pick is the best way to describe it. If you're going to go pitchers, I'm cool with that. Uh, I'm actually going to go Offense and i am going to hope that um feel free to go with odor again by the way i'm actually going to go with um captain charisma i'm going to go with adley Rutschman um on on, on a, double, a wpa basis and I love just see this. what happens i love this
1: by the way adley Rutschman's wpa last week was .28 and uh last week perez was .38 all right so i feel like we're we're in the ballpark yep And I think that, you know, good things are on the way from both of them. Yep. I I like this. This is a great stat. This feels old school bird's eye view uh,
0: when it comes to Fantasy Boss. So I guess the only question from here is who will own it? With that, let's go ahead and figure out who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly this past week in Birdland.
1: All right, it's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started. And, uh, Scott, I was tempted. I'm just going to tell you right now. I was tempted to do the whole, no, I'm not picking good, bad, and the ugly. I'm just going to do good this week. Yep. I'm not. But it was really But you hard. really want to. It was really hard to pick a good. Yeah. Um, my good for this week is going to go to Spencer Watkins, which sounds like recency bias, But I've been really surprised. Mm -hmm. I've been really pleasantly surprised with what we've gotten. Let's just look back at this past week. In two games, uh, two games started, uh, 12.2 innings pitch, which, frankly, innings pitch from a starter has been a concern over the last couple of years, and he did so effectively. Um, 1.42 walks over nine, 5.68 Ks over nine, he does appear to have been a little fortuitous, uh, holding batters to a one point uh, a where uh, obviously the um, the league norms around three twenty or something like that. Um, and so I-, I love what I'm seeing from Spencer Watkins. And the thing is, is that if he's the type of player that can
0: come up and give us stretches like that, that is incredible for this team. Agree, completely agree. Um, I'm going to go with an easy one for me. It's going to be Cedric Mullins, um, who gets my good for the week. Um, you know, actually, over you know, since the last time we recorded the podcast, Cedric Mullins is posting a 181 rated weighted runs created plus, 367 average, 439 on base percentage. Um, you know, putting out a 0.8 F4 during that period. He's up to a 2 F4 for the season, um, projected to finish right around, you know, 3.8 to 4.2. Um, which, again, not quite as good as last season at the 6.0 F war, but we talked about this before. Like, I di- we weren't expecting Cedric Mullins to have another 6 war season. Like, I kept saying, like, if he can be a consistent 3 to 4 war player, that's going to be huge. Um, and, you know, even just going back a little bit further, um, over the past 30 days, um, Cedric Mullins is currently posting a 1.2 F war, 324 average, 381 on base percentage, and a 145 rated ones credit plus it is good for 19th right now in Major League Baseball for f Um Sitting right next to him at this given time in the 18th spot is Mike Trout um, at this given point. Yeah, but is that guy any good? Is that guy any good? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, Cedric Mullins is playing like an all-star um, is the best way to put it. Um, and we'll see if he has a reoccurring appearance um, at this July Classic. All right, I'm going to dip into
1: the bad. My bad for this week goes to, I guess I'll call it the mortality of Dean Kramer. Dean Kramer had a really, really compelling run of games upon being called back up. And let, let me just put it this way. Let me put it in this perspective. In six games started, Dean Kramer had nine earned runs. Unfortunately, Five of those earned runs came in his last appearance against Texas on the fourth uh, in four and two-thirds innings pitched. Look, I hope with every fiber of my being that he goes back to being effective, even close to what he was giving us before. Again, if a guy like that can give us stretches like that, holy crap, that means good things for this staff. But this past week, he was bad.
0: Uh, So, Jake, uh, my good for this week is going to go to Tyler Wells. Um, Tyler Wells, for my good, is going to be, um, you know, I won't even go for this week. I'm going to go for the past month because, again, I'm, I'm breaking protocol here and not even choosing a bad like Jake English would. Um, and How again, dare you, sir? How dare you? God. Make a mockery of good and bad. And the five games started over the past month. Again, not great peripherals at a 6.75 Ks per nine and a 2.57 walks per nine. But over those five games started, five wins. 1.93 ERA, 3.50 FIP. Now the peripherals are, you know, not sustainable. It's the best way to put it. 192 BABIP and a 5.1 home run to fly ball ratio. Um, but Tyler Wells has been going out there and dealing as of late. So um, I feel like Tyler Wells is going a little under the radar, but yeah, Tyler Wells deserves some accolades for what he's doing out there on the mound day in and day out. Look, we we've talked about it in the past. I desperately want the Tyler Wells
1: experiment to work do you feel like it It has the possibility of working, or has no. it
0: just been okay so far? It, it's been great so far, but again, I I just don't see it on a long-term basis. I'm sorry. Um, I still think, like, I don't see Tyler Wells being a, a starting pitcher, but I do see him being a long man. Like, I do see him being a six, six starter and or long man in a bullpen for a good team is the best way to put it.
1: You know, going
0: back to the Buckle Up Birds, look at a guy like Tommy Hunter, Mm -hmm. right? Yep, exactly. So, like I said, I'm I'm not sold on Tyler Wells, but we have to give him some accolades in terms of he's going out there, he's going out there to pitch, and he's keeping the team competitive, um, and he's winning games is the best way to put it. So, good for Tyler Wells.
1: All right, my ugly, look, I know that he's been bitten a little bit by the injury bug, and I'm not beating him up, but Austin Hayes was not. Good this last week in twenty one at bats, he had a negative twenty two weighted runs created plus. Uh, look, we just talked about winning probability added. He had a negative point four two uh, wins probability added. Uh, he had a rough he had a rough go of it this this past week. He had a twenty three percent K K rate, um, just a 0.5 ISO, and his BABIP was was minuscule at. Uh, 133. Not a good week for Hayes. Uh, and so by default, somebody has to, and this week he's my ugly.
0: Jake, my good for this week is going to go to Orioles base running. So, again, I think one of the things that we are not used to is seeing really good base running by the Baltimore Orioles and specifically speed. And again, we've talked about this before with Jorge Mateo. Um, and again, we saw that where Jorge Mateo has scored from first in many instances. We also saw that with Ryan McKenna recently as well. Um, but again, we're seeing it kind of across the board. Cedric Mullins is again having a nice season, both in terms of stolen bases and being on the base pass. Um, but even like Allie Rutschman beating out a an infield hit as a catcher is a fun instance too. So there's just a lot of good, solid fundamentals in terms of base running that the Orioles are manufacturing small baseball runs. That we never saw during the Buckle Up Birds era it was an either you live or die by the home run standpoint. And we're starting to see a different dynamic, as it were, pop up, 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 up out. That doesn't mean the home run is disappearing from the Orioles, but they can manufacture runs through base running and through situational hitting, which is different than during the Buckle Up Birds era.
1: Well, it's not disappearing. It's only disappearing in left field.
0: That's true. <laughs> but, you know, if you do sit in left field, you can still get a ball from the bullpen. Um, But yeah, like I said, some really interesting base running. And like I said, the speed is really a big deal. Um, And like I said, I'm interested to see how this plays out over a longer sample size. But it's something I've noticed while watching the games. Um, Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and blow the save? Um, And Jake, I'll let you take it away.
1: to blow the save this week, I just want to talk about what a fantastic experience my family and I had at the baseball game last night, 7-6. We missed the the excitement. We missed the Homer game. Uh, But we went the next night, uh, my wife and my son and I, and uh, we just had a great uh, ballpark experience. First of all, we got seats right on that uh, left field wall. So I got a a nice look at at the new addition of the ballpark up close. It was fine. The only thing I'll say is that we sat uh, close enough to the bullpen that they should really be called uh, obstructed view seats. The the screen that they have up to make sure that the uh, you know the bullpens don't throw into the seats, yeah, uh, does obstruct the view of center field. So if you're you're too close to the bullpen, you know you might uh, you might lose something uh, of the game. What we did pick up instead, though, was a good look at the inside baseball in the bullpen. And for that, I have to uh, tip my cap to uh, the folks at the Orioles in the bullpen because uh, they were very kind to my son, particularly uh, Bautista, uh, Baker, uh, and the bullpen catchers, uh, you know, whose names, frankly, escape me. Uh, very kind in, in chatting up and eventually uh, tossing a ball to uh, to Henry. So that was fun. Uh, also, I got a lot of texts at some point during the game because apparently.
0: Henry and I were, were models for the, uh, the Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirt. Shirts. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. That was interesting.
0: Yeah. Hey, local celebrity. What can you say? Okay. What can,
1: what can I tell you? Uh, so yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. at The ballpark. Um, Hey,
0: this team is winning and tickets can be very cheap. So go out to the park, go out to the park. And, uh, again, nice, some nice promotions this uh, upcoming weekend with floppy hat, Hawaiian shirts. um, be like jake english wear your hawaiian shirts and uh, get recognized in television and
1: that that is our show remember you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com
0: Birds at View is available for download wherever you get your podcasts subscribe to the show on apple podcast stitcher google Podcasts, spotify and many others please remember to rate and review the show we appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time come and get social with us you can email us at contact at
1: birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Snapchat, we're on the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview, B A L.
0: And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's.